0: 10,
1: 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Game Over. Welcome to Game Over Montreal. As almost always, I am Andrew Berkshire. Sometimes it's Julian McKenzie hosting, but not Lately. We love Julian, but he hasn't been around. But he's going to be around next week, actually. So he's going to be on with me next week. That'll be fun. Getting on a little bit of a rant here. Uh, We're covering another Montreal Canadiens loss, but it's not like it used to be, folks. It really isn't. The Martin St. Louis Montreal Canadiens don't go away. Uh, They were not the better team tonight. Let's put that out there for sure. But they refused to give up, just like against the Toronto Maple Leafs last night. They kept themselves in it. Uh, Sam Montembo was solid except for that one gaff in the first period and they found themselves in an overtime and into a shootout again they just don't go away and to talk about that and some prospects I gotta bring in my guest tonight from the hockey news Tony Ferrari
0: how you doing Tony oh I'm good a fun game Jack Hughes is on fire it's, it's a good time to be watching hockey yeah Jack Hughes we talked about it before I started
1: the stream uh Jack Hughes is Friggin incredible. And this is a guy that got a lot of crap in the first couple of years. He was in the National Hockey League, you know, too small, can't finish. But the underlying numbers, like back when I worked for a private data company that I won't give publicity <laughs> for free, I saw the underlying numbers for Jack Hughes were always really solid, both offensively and defensively. And I was watching so many people call him a bust or like not worth that first overall pick. He is proving
0: every single one of those people wrong right now. And he looks incredible, man. It's so fun to watch because this is the Jack Hughes. We all saw back at the NTDB when he was playing for that under 18 team and just setting records and and his ability to kind of manipulate the ice diagnose what the defense is about to do and then make the opposite move and and find space for himself and teammates. It's it's incredible to watch and he's finding his scoring touch a little bit more, which I didn't know if it was going to come in the NHL and he's over 82 games. The, because he dealt with some injuries this year, he'd have been on pace for 42 goals for this year. So man, like it's been so fun to watch this kid develop. And yeah, when you're 160 pounds in the NHL at 18 years old, you're probably going to get pushed around a little bit. So you're not going to be able to score those goals, but you're watching him now get into the net, get into the slot. Like this kid's incredible. Yeah, he was absolutely on fire for the Devils tonight, and has been for a
1: long stretch. I was talking during the game with a couple of my friends uh, who are Devils fans. Just uh, we used to a friend of mine who's sadly no longer with us. Once a year, we used to go down to New Jersey and watch a Habs Devils game together. We'd stay in NYC, and then we'd like take the the train over there for the game in Newark. And we were, I was just chatting with them, like, yeah, if he was still around, we'd probably be at this game together, guys. And they were like, oh, we got to do it next year. Got to, like, For Johnny's memory, we got to do it, and we're we're, going to do it for sure. We'll figure out this whole situation. Julian will fill in with me, but (laughs) I was talking to them about Jack Hughes and how they're just like over the moon, and obviously they hate where the organization still is at this moment because it just seems like they're a little bit stagnated, but the young kids are really doing it for them, and speaking about guys who are great for the Devils, and I swear to God, guys, I will talk about the Montreal Canadiens a lot on this show. I just got to get a couple Devil's thoughts out here. Jesper Bratt, my
0: goodness, he is a gamer. Yeah, he's so fun to watch too. And, and those are the kind of the two guys up front that everyone's got hope for. Obviously, he there and Mercer's there, but Jesper Bratt and Jack Hughes are the two that have that really high-end flashy skill that are able to be difference makers. And like you said, they're just gamers. They're guys you you almost feel like they're video game out there on ice. It's so fun to watch. And man, Jesper Bratt, just cerebral out there, just finding every little ounce of space and taking advantage of it. Yeah, it, he's he's really great. And, you know,
1: I we'll, we'll shift gears into the Habs because... I feel like this game kind of had two guys who really needed to score. And I know he only scored in the shootout, but uh, Hoffman almost did it again in OT. Mike Hoffman and uh, Josh Anderson have been on kind of opposite sides of the scale. Hoffman has been playing really well, but now at a 10-game goalless drought, really just can't get the puck to go in for himself. And Josh Anderson finally got one tonight. He's on a long goalless route as well with an injury in the middle, but he has just been on the struggle bus. And for a team that so many things are going well for them right now, and the effort is there from essentially everyone, it's kind of nice to see those guys who really
0: need it get rewarded as well. Yeah, I think Josh Anderson, he's this guy that every time I watch him, I'm like, this is either the most intimidating player on the ice or the most invisible player on the ice. And he goes through these streaks. uh, It's been his whole career, even back when he was on Columbus, where he would go invisible for a stretch of games. And then you watch him go up against Toronto Maple Leafs in the playoffs. And he's an absolute monster and a world breaker. So this guy has the ability to be the best player on the ice virtually every night. And there are times when he does it, and I don't think he was that tonight, but he was able to score, and he was able to get that that monkey off his back. And once you get that monkey off your back, then, that's when things get rolling. And, and like you said, with Mike Hoffman, that double post in overtime, and, and then he makes up for it in the shootout and gets the goal, and he, the big fist pump from him. So it's good to see him get that goal at the end, too. Yeah, it's funny to think about
1: it, that even guys who are as, as talented as Mike Hoffman, who's like a every year flirts with 30 goals, you know, like he's a solid goal scorer. He's got the release that, you know, 80% of the league would kill somebody for, yeah. you know, even he can feel like it's never going to go in again. Right. After, after you go a certain amount of time, certain many shots in between goals, it just, it weighs on you and it feels like it's never going to happen. And it's just his reaction after that shootout goal was so funny. because It's a guy who has scored so many times in this league. And he's like, Grr,
0: finally. Yeah, I'm sure it was so much pressure off his back after that overtime double post, right? Like, how many posts did we see in this game overall? I feel like there was at least two or three posts every period, including the overtime because there was the sheer post as well. And yep. It's just... It, it it was crazy to watch this game. It definitely felt like two teams at the bottom of the league who both are on back to the second night of a back to back at times. But man, like it was a fun game overall because there was some loose structure on both sides.
1: Yeah, there was I would say there's a lot of turnovers higher than average number of turnovers in this game. Yeah. The Canadians had a lot of trouble clearing their zone. Their forwards were really struggling all game long to get the puck over the blue line. It was it was not the most smooth game. We'll say a lot of uh, back and forth, a lot of changing possessions in the neutral zone. I had a comment here from Ian saying, I was at the game tonight and my anger for my Kaufman has no end. He was the <laughs> only guy in the building who thought he scored in overtime. Yeah. When you look at the replay and you see that the puck bounced right back to him and he had an empty net and he could have just, you know, done the Tapped smack it, in, it yeah. back in the net. he really should have had the wherewithal to do that. But
0: yeah, it, That's Mike was- Kaufman. It was funny to see. And and like you mentioned that the Habs forwards kind of struggled to get going a little bit there. And when you look at the shot chart for both teams, because the shots at the end of the game ended up being fairly even, 33 to 32 and uh, the Habs outshot them in the middle period. But when you look at the shot charts, a lot of the Habs shots were coming from above the dots, but, uh, from the blue lines and everything like that. And and then the Devils uh, on the reverse side were a lot right in front of the net and a lot from the, the face-off dots and everything. So you're seeing the one team get those high danger chances and then the Habs collecting shots, but again, from low danger and not being quite as effective. Yeah, for sure.
1: All right. Uh, I feel like, yeah, we talked about, I saw mentioned Montembeau, he was good. The only other thing for this game really that I think is worth talking about is the debut of Justin Barron. And yes, overall, I thought that he had a decent game. I thought that uh, he was mostly like a mostly pretty quiet in his own zone. Like you didn't really notice him, which I think is good for his style of player. He had two sequences in the offensive zone where he kind of created something out of nothing, which is kind of nice. You can see, I watched uh David St. Louis breakdown of him which is great. Everyone should check it out. And he has a tendency to kind of drive the net essentially, which as uh, St. Louis was saying, like might not serve him well with how his skills work in the NHL. Yeah. He might turn into more of just a shutdown defenseman, but at least for tonight, it seemed like that was something that was interesting in part of his game. But the most interesting part of Baron's debut tonight is not necessarily how he played, but the fact that Martin St. Louis in Barron's first game as a Montreal Canadian, as a rookie, gave him the first shift in 3-on-3 overtime and gave him three shifts in 3-on-3 overtime. Didn't play amazingly well, didn't play necessarily bad either. I think he got tangled up once, but overall, I feel like that kind of decision-making from the coach, I don't know if I've ever seen any coach do something like that let alone a coach for a typically very conservative organization and i'm like that's how you develop the confidence of a young player
0: yeah there was i, I remember at the end of the third period as the time's kind of winding down i was like man is st. louis going to pull his goalie is he going to pull his goalie and then he did in the last minute it felt like really late and they convert the goal and then like you mentioned in overtime he has Justin Barron out there another bold decision putting the kid out there in a position where he let's be honest, like Barron's a really mobile defenseman. That's what his kind of calling card is. And, some of his struggles come passing from the blue line, but when you give him all that space and that ability to kind of create, like there was a couple plays where he, he made some really nice passes in transition and got the puck up into the offensive zone. Like you said, there was times in the game where he was a little bit kind of overwhelmed a little bit in the defensive zone, I think, but at the same time pairing him with Edmondson, I thought was a really smart decision because Edmondson was able to kind of make up for some of those de- the mistakes defensively and cover some things up. And then Baron was able to kind of ease into the game, get his game going and, in. Do that, And then once, like, like you said, Marty St. Louis gives the kid that confidence and over time, you, you kind of almost saw him like relax his shoulders a little bit and be a bit more fluid out there. So I love the decision personally. I think that's a really gre- an aggressive decision by Marty St. Louis. And I, I hope it's when he continues forward with, with more young players as they come up in this organization, because as Montreal rebuilds and gets some of these draft picks, because they've got a boatload now, as they get some of these draft picks and young prospects into the lineup. You're going to have to put these guys in positions that you may not want to necessarily or you want to put them in positions to, to succeed. And that's one where St. Louis did that with Baron's night.
1: Yeah, and I, I thought that, uh i know watching the, the breakdown of Baron's game from, from David, uh, also St. Louis, it's going to be confusing <laughs> for, for people who aren't paying yeah. 100% attention. Uh, David St. Louis, not Martin St. Louis. David St. Louis is a scout who works for Elite Prospects. Uh, the big thing... In terms of where Baron seemed to struggle was passing under pressure, right? He, he kind of yeah. you you mentioned earlier having the extra space of three on three plays into what he's good at. That's something I didn't think about going into the game. Yeah. That is something also that uh, David mentioned. And you got to shout him out for that. That's super interesting. You know, a, a guy that might be more of a defensive defenseman but ends up being very useful in three on three situations is probably pretty interesting prospect and you know he is a first round pick uh i feel like there's been like a difference of opinion that i've seen from different scouts on how his progression has been over the last couple of years he's now draft plus two i've seen some people who are relying more on numbers saying that he's actually had like really good progression and some people who are more uh like watching the games and tracking themselves saying that the progression has been a little bit slow where do you sit
0: on that tony I kind of think he's still, it would have been great to see him finish the year in the AHL, but after a game like tonight and with Montreal now, rather than Colorado system, I, I think it's a nice opportunity to get him some NHL games. And at least you go into the summer and he knows, okay, that's the speed of the NHL. I need to get up this. I need to work on this. I need to work on that. And he knows what he needs to work on this off season. And what will likely be one of the biggest off seasons of his life is he looks to make that jump to the NHL next season. Because I think by next season, that's when you should kind of expect a player of his caliber to be there. So getting him these games, it's certainly not a bad decision, especially if you're not going to put him in there every single night. If you, if you kind of rotate him in and out, don't like ease him into things. Don't rush him out there um, and let him kind of play his game. Like Marty St. Louis did tonight. Like you said, he's probably going to be a little bit more defensive at five on five, but he's got some interesting aspects when he goes to three on three and everything like that. So he's got some puck moving ability, especially from his own zone when he has time. So there's there's things to build on here. So I think there is a little bit more development in his game that where he could become a two way defenseman and be a little bit more inclined offensively. If he kind of reigns back from wanting to rush the puck up ice and rush the puck into the offensive zone and become a bit more of a distributor from, from the point, once he can do that, I think that's where he can get the real value. But like, like St. Louis did tonight, let him play to his strengths right now and kind of let the rest develop as it goes. Yeah, and as you kind of
1: alluded to earlier, playing with Joel Edmondson might be a very ideal situation. Ed- Edmondson's kind of struggled a little bit coming back from, I think it was like a 56 or 57 game absence. Like, no duh, he struggled a little bit (laughs) getting his timing. He seems to be getting back to it now, but he's a guy who seems to be very easy to play with. His decision-making is very consistent. He makes pretty simple plays overall. He's predictable for his partners. So that situation, despite the fact that like Edmondson, you would think with all their, their defensemen that they currently have, Outside of Petrie being healthy, he's probably like on their first pair. Obviously, it's uh, Romanov taking the biggest or Romanov, sorry, taking the biggest minutes lately. But it, it didn't seem like they put that much pressure on him. You know, like it's it's weird because yeah, he played seventeen fifty five, which is not exactly like low end third pairing minutes. But the Canadians also don't have a lot of pressure on them overall, even though they're playing really hard it's almost like the perfect situation for a young defenseman, right? It's like you can make mistakes and you're going to keep getting shifts because the games don't really matter that much, even though they are trying to win.
0: Yeah, that's exactly it. When, when you've got a young team and and you want them to, to win, you get Marty St. Louis and they're firing them up. I think we mentioned the first period was a little slow. And then the second and third, they came out firing and they were the, I don't want to say they're the better team, but they were at least creating a little bit more after that first period. So you get a motivational coach and they're like St. Louis. You give these kids some run and let them make mistakes like you mentioned. And St. Louis, I'm sure as a guy that was doubted along the way, would have loved to be able to make a couple extra mistakes here and there. So he probably understands it. And he's going to give these kids chances, like you said, putting Baron out in, in overtime, Coffee and Suzuki getting heavy minutes now and, and playing way better. It, it's really fun to see. Yeah, it is. And the Canadians, despite
1: the fact that they have been winning and accruing points, I believe are still in 31st place. They might have moved up to 30th here with a point. I, I don't remember if Seattle was active tonight, but uh, either way, they are pretty much guaranteed to pick in the top five. So I wanted to talk about the top end prospects of this draft, and I went through on the hockey news just because, you know, that's where you're from, Tony. And I, I went through and looked at like the top prospects that they had listed in their most recent one, which I think was by Ryan Kennedy. But yep. uh, I'm not, did you consult on that as well?
0: No, I didn't consult on that. But Ryan's list is pretty me and Ryan like have a bit of a different philosophy with certain things. So it's, it's nice having both lists kind of going. But the top of the draft is pretty set with the, especially the top 10, 15 guys. Perfect. All right. So I'm just going to kind of
1: turn the floor over to you a little bit and We'll kind of go, maybe we'll go through your top five and we'll go back and forth a little bit on what do you think these guys are special for and essentially like, uh, what their projections are years to the NHL, that kind of thing, why they project, uh, in what spot, that kind of thing, what separates the different players yeah. for you?
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean, you start off at the top and you go Shane Wright. I think he's the guy that's at the top of everyone's list for the most part, even though there are some people that are doubting some of the, the play this year. But something I, I mentioned earlier, I think last week, was that every month this year, Shane Wright's improved his points per game total. And in the kind of two-way game and the smarts, that they never left. So you're seeing him start to score a little bit more. And I, I've mentioned it a few times to a few different people, but missing a whole year like Shane Wright did, it can stunt your development certainly, but it could also just delay it. I think that's, that's something we're going to be seeing, especially in the OHL where they, they did lose that year. A guy like Shane, Wright, He may still be able to reach the, the heights that we all thought, or at least close to it, but it may be a year later than we all kind of thought. So he's starting to ramp up. I think last, the last month or so he's been cl- uh, running at a, a 1.6 points per game clip, which is, really high and really respectable at that level. And he does bring that two-way game. I don't think he's the, the Patrice Bergeron generational defensive talent that some people are kind of confer, uh, comparing him to, but a Ryan O'Reilly type defensive player where he just is in the right spot, makes the right decision, perfect outlet, break, breakout pass and, and is able to kind of contribute that way. I think that's a lot of what Shane Wright does in the defensive zone. And then offensively, he's just, I don't want to say a meat and potatoes guy because that almost seems unfair and it almost simplifies his game a little bit. But he's just a guy that makes the right decision every single time. He has the ability to, to make the right pass. He's got a really nice shot so he can score. He's, he's a, more than that, a, a capable playmaker as well. And he just makes everyone around him better by knowing what's going on on the ice at every te- step of the way. And he's definitely the top guy on most people's boards right now.
1: Yeah, there seems to be it's very unlikely. It's like earlier in the season there were a couple people who had uh Logan Cooley above right. Some I don't know if that's necessarily just being a wreck on tour or if it's just that some guys are high on different skill sets, but a lot of the talk about Hughes not being, you know, generational and that being, you know, a, a big knock on him seems to have gone away. Not in terms of him being generational now, but now that his point production is catching up to expectations it seems like he's being recognized a bit more as you know he's going to be a legitimate really tough player to deal with when he makes the nhl do you see him as a guy who makes the nhl at 18 or is he a guy who needs to go back to junior
0: i would personally love to see him go back to junior uh, I don't think it would hurt his, his situation at all. And if he goes to a team like Arizona, please do not rush him into the NHL for that, that aspect. But if he's a guy on the Habs, I think he could play in the NHL next year. I don't think he'd be uh, a star number one center. I don't think he, you expect him to come in and have a McDavid or Matthews type impact, but if if he comes in and has a solid season as the number two center or number three center on the Habs next year, I don't think you're, you're too upset with it. I could see him kind of flirting with 50 points next year, even and kind of, Getting that goal scoring touch going as the season goes on, kind of making the right plays and just being a a guy that a coach can rely on too. And I think that's going to be a big thing for him is a coach is going to be able to look at Shane Wright and go, oh, all right, I can trust you on the ice in almost any situation. He doesn't have to worry about what Shane Wright's decision making is going to be. And for that reason, I think he could play in the NHL next year. Like I said, unless it's an Arizona Coyotes situation or something like that, where They almost don't want to win next year at all. Like don't, don't even bother then send him back to the OHL. And I certainly don't think his development is going to be hurt by that because like I said, he could just be a year behind what we all kind of thought. So that 150, 160 point season, a lot of people expected from him this year that could just come next year in the OHL. Yeah.
1: I feel like one of the things that I wonder about a player like Shane, Wright, And this is something that I've thought about a lot since, you know, Austin Matthews made the NHL. And, you know, you're a Leafs fan, so you've watched lots of Matthews. Do you think there's any chance that we see more players who are, you know, not necessarily huge like Matthews was as a, as a teen, but on the bigger side who maybe have outgrown Junior head on over to the European leagues and play a year there and, and develop their game against, you know, mature adults instead of playing against younger kids and juniors? Because... It seems like there's been a few guys over the years that are clearly a little bit too good for juniors and maybe not quite there yet for the NHL. Like I think of I watched a couple games of Jonathan Huberto during the the lockout way back when. And he was bored out of his mind in <laughs> junior. Yeah. He, he's not the most rough and tumble guy, but he probably could have played in European leagues, like the Swiss League or the German league and then develop his game in a different way. It's like it hurt him, you know, to play in junior. But I wonder if you could see a similar uh, rocket propulsion essentially start to the career that Matthews had where, you know, you could tell he was gonna be good watching him, but playing over in the European League, I believe it was Swiss League in Bern. It's like he really outpaced his projections to a ridiculous degree and caught, not everyone off guard per se, but it seemed like he got better faster than anybody expected.
0: Yeah, I think the thing with Matthews was that he played in that U.S. system. He was a little bit of an older kid. He was had an older birthday, if I'm not mistaken, and he was a guy that you watched in that U.S. under-18 system as a U-17 player, and he was just dominating that. He set the records there at a super young age, and then when it was his draft year, he was able to go to Europe and play in the Swiss League and almost win MVP had he not been injured for like 10 games at, towards the end of the year there. Um, he finished second in MVP voting in that league against men, and he was a dominant force in that league. And, and the difference is with a guy like Shane Wright, with the CHL, they're very, very protective of their players, and they do not want to let guys go over. I know there was a lot of guys, even uh, last year when the OHL was, didn't play a, a season at all, and the WHL and QMJHL were kind of delayed and then up and down. Some guys went over to Europe and played some games. They went to the Swiss League. Uh, they went to the, the, the Finnish leagues and the Swedish leagues and everything uh, all across Europe. And there was a struggle for those guys. I know a guy like Shane Wright probably inquired to go over there. And I know I'm not saying that it happened to Shane Wright, but I know at least a few players, the CHL was like, please don't go over. We would rather you stay here. Don't worry. The leagues are going to start up. They're going to start up. They're going to start up. And, and then the OHL never did. So a guy like Shane Wright completely lost the season. So, but out, out West, uh, a guy like Matthew Savoy, who's also in this draft class, He just went down to the USHL, played there. I thought that was a really good decision for him. Uh, Other guys like Brendan Othman and Mason McTavish went to the Swiss League and played there. And, And Mason McTavish had a little bit of a loophole because he does have a Swiss passport, if I'm not mistaken. So he was able to go over and play. But the CHL is very protective of their guys. They don't like letting them go over there. Once they're they're committed to the, the CHL, it's hard to get out of that almost. And it's even w- once a player is drafted, I've thought about that. And I'm like, man, what if a guy like Matthew Savoy gets drafted this year? And, and does he really benefit from playing in the, the WHL again next year? He's putting up huge points this year. Um, if he goes back next year, he's going to be that board player. But he's probably a little bit undersized for the NHL. So you don't want to put him there. And the AHL is obviously not an option with their CHL agreement. So going to Europe would be an outstanding opportunity for him. Playing in the Liga or playing in the the, C- the SHL would be awesome for him to get that middle ground between junior hockey and the, in the NHL, but the CHL doesn't allow for that. You can't leave one even if you are a drafted player. It's hard to get these Canadian and, and even some of the American kids that are committed in the CHL to go over to Europe or even go down to the USHL. It, it's it's a weird system. It's a system that's really flawed and I think needs to be revised because they 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 claim that the development's the main key, but at the end of the day some of these kids don't develop the best in CHL hockey. I think some kids would do develop in the AHL. I think some kids go over to Europe and they develop a little bit better. That's why I think you see some of these European kids come over at 19 years old and they're ready to go. You look at Lucas Raymond this year. Um, but man, it's tough because the CHL is so protective. I'd still love to see it work out and some agreement would come because you look at Seth Jarvis in Carolina, he played in the, the AHL for a decent little period last year was leading the league in scoring both goals and points, and then had to go back to junior, looked absolutely bored, and now he's an NHL rookie who's a pretty competitive player in the NHL. So I do think that pro experience is a benefit, but the CHL just doesn't love allowing it.
1: Yeah, it's one of those things where they say they're all about development, but it's really about like keeping the stars in the league, which I I understand to an extent, but when it's kids and you're not really paying them, it's kind of, it kind of gets tough, right? It's the same as like the NCAA being overly yeah. protective of keeping kids in there and then they like void a scholarship if a kid signs a contract and it's stupid, right? Like, yeah, let these kids go where it makes the most sense for them for their career. And yeah, I mean, it's great to have great players in junior hockey and it's great for those little towns to get yeah. to, to see those players, but. Yeah, I, I want to see as much talent developed as possible, especially out of Canada, right? So we gotta yeah. take uh, take account of that. Uh couple comments here asking about my shirt. Yes, it <laughs> is Doc Ock, but he is holding beer with lederhosen because it's
0: Dr. Oktoberfest. Oh, what a what a pairing, because I've got a Spider Man shirt there on myself. Go. Look at that. How did we we didn't even plan that? Look my, at that. That was not planned.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's definitely it's a dad joke of a shirt, Doctor Oktoberfest. So Yeah. I can give you the link for that if you ask me on Twitter afterwards. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's it's fun shirt. Sure. Uh, yeah, so after Shane Wright, because I feel like... I'm trying to think. Shane Wright, talk about 50 points. I feel like he's such a good fit with the Canadians if they were able to get him. Just because if you can get to a point where you've got prime Nick Suzuki and prime Shane Wright to roll out as your number one and two center, that's two guys who are kind of in the same mold, right? Where yeah. they're... They're not necessarily the most dynamic players in the world. I don't know if either of them will ever be like solid point per game players, despite the fact that, you know, Nick Suzuki's doing it right now under St. Louis. But they're guys who are going to give you everything for 200 feet, right? Yeah. They're just solid two way players. And to be able to have those two guys as your top two, it gives you a lot of leeway in how you construct the rest of your roster.
0: Yeah, it really does. Like having a, having two centers that are that smart and just, like I said, I stress it all the time with Shane, right? Just makes the right decision all the time. I mean, you watched a a play from Suzuki today where he takes this weird little, uh, almost sandwich hit from Subban and, and Miles Wood in the in third period to spring Caulfield on a nice little play. Again, just making the right play, taking the hit if you need to, and just getting the puck in a, in a scoring position. And Shane writes to the exact same kind of player. And If Shane Wright's leading the way, getting 80 points and and you have Nick Suzuki piling in with 70 right behind him on the second line or vice versa, man, like that's a, that's a solid one, two punch that a lot of teams around the league would love to have. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Moving on
1: from Shane, Wright Because uh, there's other players in this draft who seem to project not far below him. I know this draft has kind of gotten like some bad talk for it not being like the highest end draft because It seems like none of the players are like a guarantee ready day one of next year. But at the same time, it seems like there's some pretty good players at the top. Who do you have as your number two?
0: My number two guys, Logan Cooley. And and he's a guy that like you mentioned earlier, he's been number one on a few lists here and there. I know Chris Peters was probably the most prominent list to have him at number one uh, about a month, and a half, two months ago. But this kid is, is a lot of, of the same things that Shane Wright is, but I think he has a little bit more dynamic skill. I think uh, Logan Cooley's got a little bit better, uh, a little bit more flash to his game, a little bit more razzle-dazzle. And he's a guy that likely will play center at the next level. So he's another guy that you can kind of pair in there with Suzuki as your one and two. But Logan Cooley has that two-way game. He understands where to be defensively and he makes the right plays. And he's got some some really nice offensive tools. He's got a really nice shot. He finds guys on the back door with regularity. He kind of just, again, elevates everyone around him a lot of the same way Shane Wright does. He may not have the exact same 200-foot game in in a fully capacity that Shane Wright does, but he has that same element to his game. Uh, I've jokingly called him the B-plus Shane Wright of this draft because you're getting a lot of the same elements that you're getting out of Shane Wright, but with a little bit more flash and razzle-dazzle.
1: Interesting. So what would put uh, Shane Wright necessarily ahead of Logan Cooley? Is it just that the plays that he makes and making those right decisions is just a little bit more consistent than Cooley, or is it that he's uh, like, stronger already or what are the differences between them to put Shane right ahead?
0: I, I think it's definitely that he's a lot more consistent with it for sure and, and he is a bigger player like everyone loves seeing a center being over six foot and Shane Wright is six foot one Logan cool is a little bit under six foot. Uh, I think he's listed at five ten or five eleven but he's got a lot of the same like I said same characteristics. Shane Wright just seems to be a more mature more consistent version of that so far.
1: All right. Very interesting. Next up, number three.
0: Number three on my list right now is David Juracek, and he's a Czech defenseman, right-handed shot guy. 6'3", mean as all hell. He loves to just destroy people in front of the net. He loves to bring some of that Joel, classic Joel Edmondson, Ben Chirot from the playoffs last year, kind of nastiness in front. He's been suspended a couple of times uh, the last two years, so there's definitely a little bit of uh, anger that he needs to, uh, to rein in a little bit, but... He's got some really fun offensive uh, capabilities too. I, I don't think he affects the game as much as a skater in transition, but he makes a good first pass, kind of breaks the puck out, and then becomes a factor in the offensive zone. He's got a great shot, loves to hammer it from the point, loves to kind of creep into the blue line or creep into the, to the faceoff dots and let shots go from there. And every once in a while, he's got this sneaky good hands. Uh, one of the things that really kind of makes him the number one defenseman on my board, at least right now, is that uh, uh, in comparison to a guy like Simo Nemec or even a Seamus Casey, Juracek uses his mobility at the blue line so so well he'll walk back and forth he'll kind of creep down he'll he'll be moving all over he's a very mobile big defenseman that you really look for that in the NHL these days uh, even though he's a little bit older for this draft class he's a late 2003 born this kid's ready to kind of go and, and probably if there's any defenseman or any player other than Shane Wright that I'd say is ready for the NHL next year it's probably him again I don't recommend it but he's probably the closest thing to it
1: yeah and I think for the Canadians, the the hope is probably not next year but the year after these kids start to break in, because I don't know I, I think as much as they talk about turning things around quickly, that they would not mind being bad next year as well and having a chance at drafting Connor Bedard.
0: Yeah, I think next year's draft is pretty loaded. So you get a chance to even if you draft any of the top five, really next year, you're you're coming away with a really high-end player. But one thing I did want to note about check too is the fact that he is Czech. He's European player, plays in European pro, uh, plays in European pro leagues right now. That presents the opportunity for the Habs, if they were to draft him or any team to draft him, to bring him over next year and play him in the AHL. You get your hands on him in your development system. You know what he, what's going on day-to-day with him. And you have that opportunity if you want to sneak him into a couple NHL games, call him up, let him kind of get a taste of the action. I, I love that development route with European players. You've seen it... a uh, uh, bunch of different times. I know David Passanek came over early, if I'm not mistaken. William Nylander, Rasmus Sandin, both two players with the Leafs that have done it. it it's Grin something as well, right? Yeah. Liljegren Grin as well. Like there's a bunch of players in the league that are starting to do it more consistently. And I, I think it's a really good example, a, a really good development path for a lot of these guys, especially when you're coming out of the Czech league, like you're a Czech, you get him. He's playing a lot of minutes over in the Czech league. You bring him over to the HL, play him a lot of minutes there. And, and like I said, you get your hands on him and you know what's going on day to day developmentally for him.
1: I feel like the only downside of that is fan perception, right?
0: Because yes, you get, especially
1: for a defenseman where you're really looking at them making the NHL at like 21, 22, most cases. When, by the time they make it, it seems like everyone thinks they're already old because they've been around forever and they've he- heard about them in North America forever.
0: Yeah, like, the Timothy Liljegren
1: effect. <laughs> yeah, people think about Timothy Lilligren as if he's like this guy who's on his last gasp to, <laughs> to make the NHL, and he's like just 22 years old.
0: Yeah.
1: Funny how that perception goes. And same with Rasmus Sandin, who's, I think, the yeah. year after, right? He was drafted. Yeah. So it's funny how the perception goes with, with guys who come over and play like that. But it is probably better for development and having a level of control. I know that's something also that the Canadians are trying to focus on building this summer is a real development program because it's been severely lacking under the last management group and that's like they need to make some bang for their buck on their prospects and they haven't been for a decade it it seems like things started to work out a little bit better towards the end of Bergevan's tenure and you can see some of the guys coming up now have a little bit of potential but overall not a great track record, over like the the draft record is just not good, and whether it's the draft choices or the development, it's pretty ugly. I saw a couple of people saying that uh, Shane Wright doesn't look like a a true number one pick because his point totals are not great compared to Nick Suzuki. I think it's important to not get too focused on point totals, especially when. I know that uh, Shane Wright started out this year relatively slow, really slow, like really, really slow. And a lot of people saw two games of him at the world juniors and decided he was not good because he didn't stand out. And it was the Honor Bedard show. But remember that you're comparing a guy this year who missed an entire year of development. And that's kind of another reason why we're talking about him as maybe going back to junior next year, not being in the NHL. Like he's, Played only 112 games in junior. Nick Suzuki, by the time he made the NHL, was, let's see here, 63, 65, and 64, and then another 30, and then another 29. Okay, so 63, 65, 64, plus 59, and multiple long playoff runs, and Shane Wright's Kingston Frontenacs have not made the playoffs yet.
0: Yeah. So... It's, it's always funny when people pick on the point totals. And and I brought up what the, the point totals by month uh, per game for Shane Wright for, through the year so far. In October, he started out with a point per game, which isn't anything to ride home about, especially over a guy that everyone loves as number one overall pick. November was up to 1.27, uh, 14 points in 11 games. It's improving, certainly. Uh, December, he only played a few games, but he had eight points in three games and uh, 2.67 points per game clip, which, again, super limited sample size. But January goes up again to 1.33 and February in February one, and 1.58. In March, he's kind of clicked along at just above, above 1.6, if I'm not mistaken. So this guy is starting to put up the points. And yes, he's never going to catch up to the number that we all kind of expected from him this year. But by the end of the season, the last month or two of the season, he's going to be po- putting up 1.6, 1.65 points per game, which is more than what we uh, are more than worthy of being a number one overall pick, especially when he bring such a complete, smart, educated package to the game.
1: Yeah, I know. You can tell me if these uh, descriptions are wrong, but I've I've heard two essential style comparables for Shane Wright, and like, I don't get the chance to watch a lot of junior hockey, right? So whenever, whenever I talk about prospects, I try to bring someone like you on who I know watches a lot of these games and knows these players, and I defer to your expertise on this, but I hear Shane Wright compared to two players stylistically. Not comparables in terms of career arc, Just stylistically, I want to be very clear about that because I know everybody (laughs) hates uh, person to person comparables. It it just doesn't give a true picture, but I hear slightly bigger Brendan Gallagher and kind of the same kind of style as Jonathan Taves. Now, those two things don't really mesh to me, but maybe if it's something in the middle, that's pretty damn interesting for a guy who can flirt with a point per game and also be, you know, the key guy on his line that drives the line and be incredible defensively that to me sounds like a guy who is a solid first overall
0: yeah i think the jonathan Taze one is a lot more accurate because even when jonathan Taze uh was in his prime and he was doing all the things defensively that he was doing he was never quite on that patrice bergeron level defensively so i think jonathan Taze is probably the guy the it, bigger brendan gallagher one's interesting I, i've never heard that one so i'll have to kind of th- think about that next time i'm watching him
1: yeah, I mean, Gallagher is a pretty unique player, right? Yeah. There's a few guys that play like that, but I feel like nobody really takes the level of punishment that he <laughs> does.
0: The abuse.
1: It, it's bad. And, you know, I was actually, there was a quote from Andrew Hammond when he was back with the Habs and he was talking about Brendan Gallagher. And I don't know if he just hasn't played against Brendan Gallagher that much, but he was talking <laughs> about how he's like always on the line, but never over it in front of goalies. And I was like, "You're this is a very teammate <laughs> thing to say.
0: Yeah. <laughs> that's a uh, that's a teammate being very kind to a guy who pisses off a lot of goaltenders yeah,
1: and a lot of defensemen too right he, yeah he, he has his reputation for a reason and we love him for it all right uh, who do you have at number four we've got a bunch of questions here about uh, slavkov slavkovsky so is it slavkovsky
0: Slavkovsky's not my number four. He's not my number five though. So I will, I'll talk about him for a, a quick second here. And he's sure. a guy that went to the Olympics, uh, won uh, with the goal of the MVP of the tournament, if I'm not mistaken, uh, led the tournament in goals as a, a teenager playing for Slovakia, who was a really fun team to watch this year at the Olympics. And man, this kid's a big, big winger. And he definitely is a winger. Like there's, I know some people have recently tried to say, oh, he could play center. And I, I, think he probably could, but I don't think he'd be nearly as effective because so much of his game predicates on him being able to go into those corner battles and roll off the pressure with the puck and get to the front of the net and, and do so many of these things that we see some of the, the elite bigger wingers do in the NHL. And Slavkovsky plays such a fun, interesting game because he he going into the Olympics, I was like, man, this is a big time playmaker, a guy that sees the ice really well and has the size to kind of use his reach to evade pressure and then make a good pass through through traffic and everything like that. And then he went to the Olympics and scored more goals than anybody there. And yep. you're seeing that shot from come from him. you're seeing him get to the high danger areas. And while he wasn't necessarily doing that as consistently in the league of this year, because he's a Slovak playing in uh, the Finnish league, even though certain people in the prospect injury want to say he was going to play a big role in the, the Finnish world junior team. Um, but no, he comes in, he plays this big role for Slovakia at the Olympics. Uh, releases his shot, shows off some of that goal-scoring touch, and man, there's a lot to like with this kid. I think he's really raw, and I think that's something that you're going to have to work on his game with, especially in, engagement through the neutral zone and kind of in his own end defensively. But when he is engaged back there because of his size, because of his reach, he's really effective at disrupting plays. So he's a guy that I think some team's going to bring in and, and go, man, like this is a fun little ball of clay, or not little, fun massive ball of clay to mold and, and really try to get this – excellent two-way power winger out of him
1: yeah i feel like that's the kind of thing that the montreal canadians are also super interested in so i i wonder if they fall out of first if he's the guy that they actually target and they think about maybe moving back a spot or two as much as i think they do really need a second line center and the draft is the best place to get that if you're picking at the top i can see why a big scoring winger is very tempting because the Olympics this year on the men's side, having to have watched them for <laughs> the show that I did on game a- game over international were a slog. Uh, they were hyper defensive, barely any scoring. And this kid was a breath of fresh air, frankly, yeah. during those games. So I can see why he's moved up a lot of lists. Uh, who do you have at number four, though, Tony?
0: Uh, my number four guys, Matthew Savoy, a guy I saw at the top prospect games earlier this week. And He's so incredibly skilled, got so much agility to his game. Some people kind of worry about his breakaway speed being a a little bit of a smaller guy, but when they did all the testing on ice before the the prospect game, he finished first or second in almost every single skating drill, including skating forward with the puck and without the puck. And uh, he came away as a top player on all the on ice testing, uh, beating Shane Wright, beating Danny Jilkin and all the other prospects that were in the CHL top prospects game. And then in the game itself, he was an absolute menace. He didn't get on the score sheet. Unfortunately, his team lost three to one uh, with Shane Wright coincidentally only scoring, scoring the only goal for his team. But Matthew's boy was generating more chances probably than anyone else on his team getting to the front of the net attacking play uh, making defenders look silly and a lot of times people are concerned about this kids being a little bit undersized but he also threw a few hits in this game that were kind of some of the biggest hits in the game it was really fun to watch him kind of go out there and just engage Uh, one thing I will mention about him though is uh, I personally think he can play center I think he can be that undersized center uh, akin to Braden point in the NHL. But in the top prospects game, they did have him playing the wing, even on the practices they were playing, he was playing on the right wing. And I think that's because NHL scouts wanted to see what he would look like out there. A a guy that is, uh, he's listed at 5'10", it's probably a little bit generous. I'm a little over 5'10", myself, and he was definitely at least a day shorter than me when I talked to him just Wednesday. So uh, he's a guy that is a little bit smaller, but he plays with pace, plays with skill, and plays with a little bit of a cerebralness to his game. Uh, five on five, he's improved over the season, but he's torn, torn it up on the power play. Uh, five on five, though, at the start of the season, you were kind of asking for where the production was going. And then since the new year, all the productions kind of come just at five on five. And this kid's been a ton of fun to watch. Like it, if, if the Canadians want to go, don't get that first overall pick and they want to swing for the fences. Matthew Savoy might be the guy because I, I could very well see Matthew Savoy being the best player to come out of this draft if everything works out for him super interesting. I I've, I've heard a lot about Savoy recently. It, it seems to
1: be he's the guy who's really caught some people's eyes who are starting to pay attention in in Habsland as uh, the draft nears and the the season starts to wind down. Uh Sarah Y here says that in one of the post-game interviews recently, uh Stu Cowan asked Martin St-Louis what he thought of Gallagher's game and he mentioned that he wanted Gallagher to try different things. I mean, I think that's probably a good thing. Uh if you paid a lot of attention to Gallagher over his career. Uh if you watch like his early career versus when Claude Julian took over, uh this is one of the things that having the advantage of having like uh premier access to microdata comes along. Gallagher started shooting from further out when Claude Julian took over and for a lot of people they were like, "Oh, he's getting fewer high danger chances, more like mid-danger chances." But in allowing Gallagher to shoot from different areas, he became more than just a net front presence and he became a 30 goal scorer. Like, yeah, he, he was a guy who always had like leading the league in high danger chances, but never really uh, could finish at the expected rate. Kind of the same thing that's happening with Brady Kachuk the last couple of years. Yeah, that's seasons, what I was just gonna mention. Right. And maybe Brady Kachuk needs to drift a little bit further away from the net sometimes and, <laughs> you know, giving Gallagher the option of, not necessarily playing the net front, but being more of a bumper on the power play expanded his role and allowed him to try different things. And, you know, in, in, in zone or checking situations or, uh, I'm trying to think of the name cycle chances. Sorry. Yes. Uh, getting him more to like the middle of the circle or like inside, just inside the circle in the scoring chance area, instead of just hanging out in front of the net and always being the distraction in front of the goalie. Did allow him to get different kinds of shots and develop his shot a little bit more. So I, I think that St. Louis is onto something that if Gallagher wants his game to have longevity, he's gonna have to take a little bit less punishment in his 30s than he did in his 20s. So that's I think that's worth it. Uh comment here. Thoughts on Pavel Mintyukov.
0: Oh man, the the player I listed as both a left-handed defenseman and a left winger. Um <laughs> oh because- no he is he's a uh, he's a left-handed defenseman plays for sag and all and and that's probably a little bit harsh on him but man does this kid love to be the first guy in the forecheck which is really weird for a defenseman uh he he skates really well he has a lot of really high-end skill uh decision making is dangerous but questionable he's high risk high reward um if you like Jake gardner This is Jake Gardner on steroids. Um, This guy, he he will create a ton of chances. He'll generate offense. He'll score goals. He'll set up some really nice highlight plays. But then sometimes he'll skate forwards in the defensive zone and and kind of not know what he's doing. Or he'll chase a guy to the point and just completely vacate anywhere near the net. So there's some defensive development that certainly needs to come. But the upside with this kid's really high because if you can teach him to kind of calm down defensively, I think, I think that's the biggest thing he needs to do is just – understand where he needs to be a little bit better he's got the skating the mobility the stick the skill to to get himself out of those situations even though he's a bit of an undersized defenseman he's got the skill but man he is a a wild card in my opinion as to where where you draft or where he gets drafted i could easily see him going in the top 15 because someone gets enthralled and i could see him going in the second or third round because teams are just like man what what is this kid maybe he's one of the guys that canes can look
1: at uh you know, falling in the draft or something like that, or their second first round pick something where you're taking on a higher risk, but because you have two picks in the first round, it's uh, less of a risk. Uh, Some other names that I had written down here that were high on
0: a lot of people's lists. How about uh, Matt Savoy's teammate, Connor geeky, Connor geeky, the kid who, who loves to stomp his way through the ice. That's, that's the biggest issue with him. I think is his skating. He's a big kid, six foot four, uh, almost 200 pounds, just over 200 pounds. But he needs to work on kind of getting his stride under control a little bit. He's got these long, lanky arms and legs, and he needs to, If I, in my opinion, if you draft him in the top 20, which is probably where he'll go, top 10, a lot of teams have him ranked. I know that. I talked to them uh, at the Top Prospects game. and People were enthralled by this kid, but everyone has the same complaint. His, his skating stride needs to get under control. If you can get this kid with a skating coach for the next year or two, he'd come into the league and be this really nice dual threat center, uh, I think he can play center because he has the reach. He has a defensive kind of mindset. He understands where to be. And he's got really crafty stick work, I think, in the defensive zone. You, you see so many plays where a, play, a pass is going to a player he's, he's covering. He lifts the stick, takes the puck, and starts moving the other way with, with a nice breakout pass to one of the wingers. So I think there's a lot of elements where I, I do like him in space. And, and this guy, he has the upside. He has everything you want outside of the skating. So if you can bring the skating along, if you trust yourself, but at the same time, he's probably the worst skater I have ranked in the first round. So there's a long way to go in that in that mobility department. It's the kind of one where
1: if the Toronto Maple Leafs draft that guy and you can have Barb Underhill work yeah. with him every single day, you're like, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. But you've got to have the development track in place with the skating coaches. And the the one thing that interests me is he is listed at six four. There's this yep. strange phenomenon where. Player like forwards specifically over 6'4, it's almost like there's there's almost
0: zero high impact players above six four. Yeah, it's really rare to find them because I think what happens to a lot of them is they get their their the small ice game in the NHL is, is so much more important. The ability to kind of dangle in tight, be kind of handling the puck along the boards in your own feet and in defenders' feet becomes so much more important as the game kind of pushes up in pace and ramps up at the NHL level with guys that are six, four, six, five at forward, especially it's much harder to do that. I think you see a guy at six, two, six, three, it's a little bit easier to kind of be down low on the ice. And, and I know an inch or two doesn't make a difference or shouldn't make a difference, but it, it's teams to at the NHL level. And I know when, when I'm making excuses for some of these smaller players, I'm like, yeah, if you, he's five ten, but if he was six foot, everyone would have him in the top five. Why is he in the top 20 and, and, and he should be higher. But at the same time, there is evidence both ways where there is kind of an optimal height between 5'11 and 6'3 or 6'2 of of what NHL forwards are at and where they excel in the higher end of things. So I I think Connor Geeky has the talent to kind of be one of those high-impact forwards. But at the same time, there's very likely a world that we're looking at Connor Geeky as a a third-line center or a a third-line winger even and and kind of working his way through the NHL, being a little bit less of an offensive presence than kind of people expected him to, especially if they draft him in the top 10.
1: Very interesting. Uh, we've got a couple questions here. Uh, let's see. There. Oh, this is a really good question. Somebody before that. Somebody says, "Don't make a joke about Jada Pinkett Smith." Uh, I guess this is something to do with the Oscars. I will not touch it.
0: No <laughs> we, idea. We don't want
1: to get in trouble. I don't. I have no idea what the context is. Uh, from Tom Sir says, "Do you think Russian prospects will slip in the draft because of the ongoing world issues, including Mishkov next year?" My opinion is that you would have to have you know the country of russia collapsing and nobody allowed out or something for Michkov to slip next year i think that he's so talented that there's no way teams don't risk it but yeah i I don't know like the the political situation is so fragile right now i i there's, there's always bias against russians in nhl circles right you can see it yeah in like actual people who've let themselves be quoted like i remember when the canadians drafted nikita sherback uh mark dumas who was working with me at hab's eyes and the prize at the time was going through like scouting quotes in one of the like scouting booklets that came out and one of them like they listed in like the negative attributes russian I was yeah. like, oh my god <laughs> and, like obviously nikita sherback did not work out but i wouldn't say it was because he was russian
0: yeah, there, there's always been the, the Russian bias. I think it's it's always been pretty evident. We've seen it uh, affect a bunch of different guys falling down draft boards a little bit. And I, I think with this current situation of Russia's invasion of Ukraine and everything, there are going to be guys that are affected by it, certainly. I, I don't, speaking with with some NHL scouts and with other evaluators around the NHL and different media outlets and everything, it seems like the top-end guys probably won't be affected. So we might kind of see a guy like Moroš Nechenko, uh, Gleb Trikazov, of Vladimir Gruden, and some and Dino Yurov, kind of those those top end guys, they probably don't get affected as much. Maybe a few spots here or there. Maybe they fall from the mid first round to the early second round, something like that. But the guys after that, the second tier, third tier guys, the guys that were oh we'll take a flyer on him in the fourth or fifth round, he probably doesn't get drafted now, or he might not get drafted, or or we see a lot of teams kind of take these really late flyers on the on the seventh round on Russian guys. I could see that happening as well, but based on conversations, like it's going to affect guys. There's no doubt about it. And there's already been a Russian bias, uh, an anti-Russian bias. This is probably not going to help that. Let's be honest. So it's probably going to affect the top guys, a few spots here or there. And then the, the guys lower down the list might not even get drafted.
1: Yeah. One thing that I am interested in with this whole situation is because uh, somebody mentions, like, as we all know, Mitch has a contract with CSK until 2026 with the way I I believe the agreement between the KHL and the NHL is currently suspended. Yep. I wonder if that means that the NHL or NHL teams would be willing to essentially break tradition or break contract negotiations and bring a guy over who's under contract in the KHL and piss everybody off in Russia. Because, I mean, it is a league run by the oligarchs, so... If you've got oh, yeah. the chance to bring a guy over early like Mitch I could I could see somebody trying to take advantage of the situation there. It's weird to talk about this whole thing in terms of hockey because, it's yeah, frankly, not that important, but I could see it having hockey ramification.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think and that is as terrible as it sounds. Obviously, we're following everything that's going on over there and whatnot. But one of the first things I thought of in the, when I did start thinking about hockey in terms of the situation is. Michkov's contract isn't as secure anymore. The NHL suspended that agreement. Does a team at the top of the draft go, hey, bud, come over, get out of that situation. Don't worry about everything going on around in the world around you. And we all know NHL teams don't really have a ton of conscience. So they might be like, hey, come over here. It's greener pastures over on our side. And they're being honest, but at the same time. They're gonna to try to take advantage of the situation because that's what NHL teams do. That's what professional sports teams do. So I wouldn't be shocked to see it, especially next year when Cobb is a guy that I, I've said it multiple times. If him and Bedard were on equal playing terms, I think Michkov probably is the guy that maybe sneaks out ahead. Wow. So I, I I think in. in Regardless, I think both guys are generational talents, going to change franchise, whatever two franchises they go to. But I know there was talk of Mitch with this contract before the conflict of, man, does he fall to third? Does he fall to fourth? Because teams are going to have to wait three, two or three years for him. Doesn't Adam Fantilli kind of creep up ahead of him and, and a team just needs someone that's a little bit more immediate help? So now with this situation, if a team feels pretty comfortable at number two going, hey, Mitch come over. We got better, better times over here in Canada or the United States, wherever the team's located. I could see it happening because, man, like with Boyd Bedard's done this season, especially at the World Juniors, and since he's been back from the World Juniors, I think he's solidifying that number one spot, certainly. But we're still a long ways out. Mitch Cobb's an incredibly talented player.
1: Yeah, he absolutely is. I would say if we see that the uh, Washington Capitals bottom out next year, we know what they're doing. Oh, yeah. You know, they're, they're a team that's not afraid to go after the Russians, and uh, they seem to have a lot of success bringing them over. I remember there being a lot of talk about Kuznetsov was never going to come over to the the NHL around his draft gear. And then I was like, oh, okay, well, if Ovechkin's telling him to come over, yeah. then he's gonna come over.
0: Uh yeah. I, I was gonna say, I was gonna say, uh Mitchkov, I mean, if you if you get if the Washington Capitals bought him out and he gets the chance to play with probably the greatest Russian player to ever live in Ovechkin, I don't think he's passing that up. No,
1: no, I, I no, not gonna happen. Uh question here from Emil says uh Hey Andrew, been listening to you since Ice Level. That's a long time, so thank you. Uh I really hope we don't draft him, but what are Tony's thoughts on Kent's son, Jack? Is there another Jack Hughes that could uh, rival the current Jack Hughes? Tony?
0: Uh, Let's not say rival. That's that's (laughs) hasty, especially after what we just saw tonight where he took over the game almost every shift. But there is another Jack Hughes, and I think he's a guy that a lot of teams are looking at at the end of the second or end of the first round into the second round. And he's a guy that has a lot of really nice characteristics. He certainly does not play the same style as Jack Hughes. Um, he plays a more two-way game, a little bit more of a a meat and potatoes game. I I said, I didn't want to say that about Shane Wright earlier, but Jack Hughes does. He plays a very meat and potatoes game. He, sometimes he has a little bit of a funky release. He's, but overall, I think he's a really good two-way player. He's got of a dual threat. He's able to score some goals, set some plays up. I don't think he's a bad player by any means. i on my board currently. I just searched it, looked it up. I have him at 37. So he's just outside the first round. And he's certainly a guy that's playing NCAA hockey. So you you already know he's playing against a little bit older competition. He's able to kind of play against that. And then you can leave him in school for a couple of years before you bring him into the league. And you you have that that runway time. I think the NCAA is an increasingly better option for a lot of prospects, especially ones that are going to need a year or two after their draft. I think the NCAA is an awesome option. And Jack Hughes, if if you use the second round pick on him, the Montreal Canadiens have a few, or he falls to the third round and you use one of, I think, Montreal's three there, you use one of them on him, that's certainly not a bad pick. So maybe there's a little bit of uh, Kent Hughes drafting his son drama going on in Montreal, but I, I certainly don't think it's going to be a player they're going to be like, oh, we have to reach on him. And if they do, then I don't know. I'll just make fun of uh, Chris Draper for for shoehorning his own kid, Keenan, into the seventh round a couple of years ago for Detroit.
1: Yeah, it's one of those situations where if it's in the second round, you you understand it. But if they use their second first round pick this year, on Jack Hughes, then you're like, hmm, yeah, not sure how I feel about that. It's a bit of a weird situation, but I, I have a feeling they will avoid it just because unless yeah. it's like he drops like the bottom of the second round or something.
0: Yeah, like it's I said, if good. he falls to the third, then that's a great value selection there. So that's a guy you, you take in that situation. But uh, there's a lot of players. And like you said, if it's that second first round pick, if say they get a Shane Ryder, or Logan Cooley at the top. Then that second and first round pick, you almost want them to take a bit more of a risky player, grab a guy that has a little bit more of that high end upside, whereas Jack Hughes is a little bit more of a safer pick that you, you go for at the start of the second round and go, all right, that's a guy we can probably rely on being a being an NHLer. All right.
1: One player that was very high on Ryan's list that we haven't talked about, I don't
0: believe was uh, Joachim Kemmel. Where do you have him ranked? Joachim Kamel, he's the guy that I've had kind of flirting at the back end of my top 10 all year, Uh, currently sitting at number nine. And it has nothing to do necessarily with the style of player is. I just think other guys have had better years than him. And that's going to sound a little funny coming from a – or when talking about a player that at one point was leading the league, uh, uh, the Finnish league, in scoring goals and points at one point, like I mentioned earlier with uh, a few other players. But Joachim Kamel was shooting 30% to start the year, which is extremely high. Um, he scored 13 and 15 games, I think, to start the year, uh, got hurt, went to the World Juniors on his on his return. Uh, he kind of looked a little bit off at the World Juniors and mentioned that the, the shoulder injury was still hurting him a little bit. And then back in the league of play, he really kind of slumped out after that. And he was asked multiple times with the shoulder whether or not it was hurting him and, or affecting his play at all at the league level. And he said not really after the first couple of games back. That he was pr- perfectly full, fine and back to full health. But his shooting percentage regressed. And the big thing with him is the same thing w- w- a lot of people had uh, harping on Alexander Holtz a couple of years ago for is despite the fact that they probably have the best shot in the draft and walking most likely does. He has a little bit of a tendency to fire the f- puck from above the dots, low danger shots. And in, in the Liga and in over in Europe in some of the junior leagues and stuff, that works. It, it goes in. The goalies aren't quite as good as the NHL. The def- defenders don't kind of get in the way like they do in the NHL. So he's able to get those shots from distance through. And But when you're looking at the NHL, there's very few players that can get the shots from above the dots in with consistency. And you're looking at Ovechkin, Austin Matthews, maybe Line A. Patrick Line. A. Yeah, like yeah. there's very few limited players. Like you can probably count them on one hand. And Wacom Kamal doesn't quite have that level of skill. So I, I think there's there's some tapidation in my evaluation of him as putting him in the top five, top 10, like some people have. Because when you look at everything outside of that, that ridiculous shot and the raw talent is there, there's a lot of question marks about some decision-making. He's a little bit one-dimensional, I think, uh, as an offensive player. He does have some nice two-way tendencies, and he'll throw a hit here and there, so that, that's kind of nice. But he does have some, some limitations as an offensive player. But, I mean, if he works out, you're certainly not complaining about him being on your power play and putting in 30 goals a year. Yeah,
1: just based on the description, I'm like, oh, a crazy shot, shoots a little bit too much from distance, I'm like, also finish, I'm like,
0: Yoel
1: Armia? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mid-first round pick as well?
0: Yeah, it, it's a little bit of a nice comparison uh, stylistically, but I, I do think Joaquin Kimmel is a little bit of a higher-end player than Yoel Armia is.
1: I mean, when Yoel Armia is hot, he looks like Mario <laughs> out there sometimes, and oh. then he disappears for 25 games, and he's a good defensive player still, but yeah, uh, yeah I, I'm I'm actually pretty happy for him right now because he has been playing a lot better lately. He's been... In his best stretch of the season which is a low bar but i think this is by far the worst season <laughs> he's ever had in the nhl it's it's been a rough one but i feel like uh any ul army comparisons would get the canadians fan base pretty yeah upset about a first round pick uh sarah y says Kent said his wife would kill him if he drafted his son so that's probably not happened <laughs> perfect all right the only other guy that i had written down here was uh
0: simon nemich Simon Nemec, a defender out of the Slovakia again, or yeah, Slovakia. Yep. I'm right. I wasn't crazy. I almost thought he was Czech for a second, Uh, but no, this kid has been a ton of fun to watch with HK Nitro. He's setting records in the Slovak league for scoring as a defenseman under 20, if I'm not mistaken, he's already set the record. Uh, And he's just been able to kind of do everything. He's a really good puck mover. He likes to go for the home run a little bit too much. And that tends to lead to some shifts where he ices the puck three times. Like I've seen multiple times this year and on the same shift, which is always fun to watch, but uh He's got some of the, the funner skill on the, the back end. I think, like I said, with Juracek, he's a little bit more active as a, as a mobile player on the blue line, but Simon Nemec doesn't lack that. He just doesn't do it as often. Like he de- He's not as active. He has the skating ability. He just doesn't kind of move in and out, fly from, from sideline to sideline essentially as like Juracek does, especially on the power play. But Nemec is a smart player, moves the puck extremely well. Uh, he is a little bit more undersized. He's not quite as as big as, as Juracek. And he kind of plays a little bit smaller. He doesn't engage physically like you'd like to see. But there are times where he's a dog on a bone and he's just in there kind of poking away with his stick, getting getting the play broken up and moving the puck up ice quickly. There's a lot to like in damage's game, and he's certainly up there with the best defenders in this draft class. And he's right outside my top five, so I'm not shocked to have see him up there high on Ryan's list either.
1: All right. I think, uh, is there anybody else that stands out to you as somebody worth mentioning in like the top 10-ish range that could slide up into the top five-ish range or are we we covered everything pretty well
0: i think the one guy we'll mention is brad lambert who's been really divisive this year a guy that hasn't put up the numbers that that many people expected when they thought originally he was going to challenge for the number one spot uh finnish kid playing in your playing in the pros uh has a tie to calgary's his, his dad was born there and he was actually born there for not mistaken moved over to finland and has been there ever since basically as since he was a kid but lambert has all of the tools, every single one you'd want. He has a really good shot. He's an excellent, excellent playmaker. Has incredible touch on his passing. Uh, probably the best skater in this draft uh, from an agility, speed. He's got everything you'd want in a skater. Uh, but he's playing against many. He's a little bit undersized, a little bit under strength, and, and you notice it in, in the Liga. But with that said, he's not putting up a ton of points at all. And that's the big concern with him but when you look at some of the advanced metrics in transition, he's probably the best player in this draft and in, uh, in creating chances, he gets to the middle really often. And he had a mid season trade from Yippie Veskala, who's a bottom ish team to the Pelicans who are the bottom team basically. And the, the team <laughs> watching him, he's creating more offensively because he's been given a bit more of a consistent role with Yip. He was up. He'd start on the second line and he'd play on all four lines and mostly on the fourth line throughout the game. So there was like, how does this kid even get comfortable with uh, anybody, create chemistry with anyone when he's playing on four lines in a game? But now that he's playing on the Pelicans, he's getting a little bit more consistent line mates, a little bit more consistent playing time, creating more. The points are starting to come a little bit more, but he's still not producing at a high level because there are so many times where he'll set a guy up in the back door and they'll just Nashville Predators yeet it over the netting and, and put it into the stands. It's, it's crazy to watch, but it, it, it's frustrating for him. I know uh, I've talked to him a couple of times this year and I know – He's happy to be back. He's more mentally state, like he's more mentally fit in, in uh, the Pelican situation than he was with Yip because of the situation where he was kind of going up and down. But he's still frustrated with some of the, the systems and some of the lack of talent around him. So he's a guy that's a wild card. I have him up at number six on my board. Uh, he's a guy that I think a lot of teams are going to regret on passing. I think I am even kind of wanting to put him even higher because all everything's there except the production. And We saw a player like this pretty recently in Lucas Raymond. And while the stylistically, they're not the same thing, Lucas Raymond really struggled to produce in his uh, draft year, but he was doing so many things that you'd want to see. The processing was there. The, the, the procedure, every step of the way was there except that finish. So as an 18 year old, 17 year old in the, in a pro pro league, like Lucas Raymond was like Brad Lambert is, Sometimes you have to look past the, the production a, a guy like Sebastian Ajo fell to the second round because of the production, not last, not really being there when he was playing pro, but doing everything right. So I don't, I, he's not going to fall to the second round. I don't think, but man, there's going to be some teams if he falls into the teens that are really going to regret it. It's always fun to see the ones that fall right. And and yeah. how they
1: work out or if they don't work out. And the only bad side about watching the guys that fall is watching them on TV as they like sink yeah. lower and lower into their chair and their parents are like, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> That's always a little bit crushing. But, uh, yeah. in terms of the hockey side, it's fun to see who can sneak out the, the surprise pick. All right, Tony, I gotta thank you for giving us this incredible draft preview. Essentially. I'm going <laughs> to talk to a bunch of other scouts as well as the season rolls out and we're going to have Tony back as well. We're going to continue updating everyone on what the best situation is or who's coming out on top and we'll talk about more Shane Wright because I think he's the guy who's at the top of everybody's list really we'll uh, maybe talk about uh, Chris Peters putting Logan Cooley higher because he's American (laughs) no offense Chris that's what it is
0: Chris really loves the NTDP and he was like I gotta put my guy there I know that's what it was
1: after watching this game, I feel like every American hockey fan looking at Jack Hughes and Cole Caulfield is kind of salivating about,
0: oh, yeah, like
1: World Cup or Olympics.
0: And that's just it. Like the Jack Hughes draft class in 2019 was just so stacked and loaded. And you're looking at the, a lot of this first round this year. And there's a lot of NTTB guys in the first round this year. I don't think they have that that Jack Hughes where Jack Hughes was this like unreal player. Like you knew this was coming, what he's doing now. Um, it just wasn't there yet as, a, as an 18 year old in the NHL, and, and they're probably missing that. But they've got a lot of talent on this NTDB team. Like we didn't even talk about Frank Nazar, Seamus Casey. Uh, there's a t- Cutter Goches and another guy that's pr- rising up boards like crazy. This NTDB team could put five, six, seven guys in the first round again.
1: The, the development of American hockey has been really astonishing the last decade or decade and a half now. Yeah, it, they're they're catching up annoyingly. Before, before I let you go, Tony, if you're building Team USA for the next uh, Olympics or World Cup, whatever, what have you, would you put Trevor Zagres off of
0: center and onto left wing so that you could do Caulfield Hughes Zagras? 1,000%. That would be my second line. Wouldn't that be insane? out of 1,000. You have Austin Matthews doing what he's probably going to do on the first line. Tosh you know what? Just be crazy. Toss Jack Eichel on Matthew's wing. Who cares? Oh, my God. And, th- and then you have that crazy 19 NTV team. And then you just fill out the bottom. Like, then you have, oh, no, Dylan Larkin's our third line center. Like, oh, darn. Like, a, guy <laughs> what that's a, play a game on Detroit, <laughs> right? Like, it, 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 the U.S. team is going to be tons of fun. I really hope the, the NHL goes to the next Olympics because oh, boy, that U.S. team is going to be a wagon. Yeah, it's going to be fun.
1: I feel like we were robbed this year of the possibility of like for Team Canada, I put it out there a few yeah. times. The fact that we could have seen McKinnon, McDavid, and Makar in like a three-on-three overtime.
0: Uh, and then you just go, oh, no, we have to throw Crosby out, I guess. Oh, darn. Like, okay. Oh, no, Again, not right? Crosby. Like, oh, no. Oh, man. I,
1: I, I am itching for a best-on-best tournament. It's been, it's been too long. It's been
0: so yeah, long. Uh, hopefully, we will get the World Cup. I know they're talking about it, and some people think it's a gimmicky tournament. But I just want best on best. I want to see this stuff. I want to see this wagon of a US team. I want to see Canada get Crosby and McDavid as close to their primes as possible. Like I, I want to see some of this fun stuff. One hundred percent. And I feel like if they could just do away with the Team North America and Team
1: some of Europe. As fun as yeah. Team <laughs> North America was, just let's let's have the,
0: it actually not be a gimmick.
1: Right. <laughs> let's yeah. let's have it the actual. Countries. Hockey, yeah. Like
0: they've got yes. talent enough, right? Include some of these other countries. There's good enough talent there. And, and it's going to be fun to watch. It will be. All right. Uh, before we let you go, Tony, plug your work, my friend. Ah, uh, you can find me on Twitter at the Tony Ferrari. I'm tweeting dumb stuff there or hockey stuff. I'm a little bit of both lately. And, and then you can find all my work at the hockey news and sports illustrate all my draft stuff, tons of rankings. I just put something out on, J- on Jake Sanderson, how good he's going to be when he comes into the NHL once his uh, wrist injury heals. But there's always draft stuff there, and and you can follow me on Twitter and ask me questions there. I love answering them, so I try to get back to everyone. Oh, Tony, you had to say something next about the Ottawa Senators. I mean, they've got one good thing going for them. A college (laughs) defenseman is going to be their best player. (laughs) oh, no. Oh, all right.
1: We won't talk about their latest draft. Oh, Tyler Boucher... (laughs) (laughs) greatest player ever I've been told all right sick
0: in the OHL all
1: right we'll close it out there thanks everyone for joining us on back-to-back nights here on the weekend we appreciate you spending your weekend evenings with us that's a big ask especially those of you who tuned into this instead of the Oscars and saw our glamorous beautiful faces instead of you know Leo DiCaprio and I don't know who
0: else is there Lily James
1: who all these amazing
0: see, celebrities who wants to see glitz and glamor dresses when you can watch two guys talk about Hayeki in and Spider-Man inspired shirts. <laughs> exactly. Two guys with thinning to
1: gone hair. Yeah. Trying to hide it with a hat and, <laughs> and like, <lighting. laughs> right. uh, uh, see- <laughs> yeah, we got that style. All right. We'll see you again on Tuesday, everyone for, uh, I'm not even sure. I think the Canadians are playing the Panthers again next, or is it Carolina No, Panthers Panthers. again? So that's going to be a tough one uh, (laughs) for the Montreal Canadians, but uh, we'll see you then on game over Montreal as the season slowly closes out. Thanks for